Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update. The DC Insider Employer Update brings you the current insights and expertise of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from Fortney Scott. Each episode will highlight the most important updates and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Joining us in today's episode are three lawyers from Fortney Scott who bring special familiarity with the workings of Congress and the federal agencies. David Fortney, a former acting solicitor of the Department of Labor, co-founder of the Institute for Workplace Equality and co-founder of Fortney Scott. Bert Fishman, a former deputy solicitor of labor for national operations and a perennial DC super lawyer in labor and employment. And lastly, Nita Beecher, who brings a unique blend of experience as an in-house counsel, an executive with a leading employer network, and now as a member of the firm. David, why don't we get into what happened this week? Super, Valerie, thanks very much. And boy, the, an- the short answer is a lot. Uh, I think the leading headline has to be Marty Walsh. Marty Walsh is now the Secretary of Labor. He's the last member of the president's cabinet that's been confirmed. Uh, He garnered 18 Republican votes, so he was confirmed by a count of 68 to 29. Pretty good in today's environment. And I think it's clear, even after just a couple of days, that Walsh is there to start getting things done. So I think at this point, it's really kind of buckle up, and we're going to see a lot of activity from the Labor Department agencies. Bert? Well, I think that may be true for Marty, but uh, the rest of the positions are still unfilled. The deputy, Julie Sue, just had a kind of a bruising nomination hearing, and we'll see if she makes it through. Uh, recently, just yesterday, uh, the solicitor, the number three position, was named uh, Seema Nanda, who, like many other of the appointees, is a veteran of the Department of Labor, a veteran of the, of the Democratic National Committee. She's an experienced old hand at the DOL and known to President Biden. But... That's about it. And it's kind of unprecedented that none of the other sub-cabinet nominees have been named. A wage and hour administrator, head of OSHA, which we thought would be one of the lead agencies. So when Marty gets in place, he will not have his A-team there for about a month because it's going to take that long with the Senate uh, off on recess for his nominations when he makes them to start rolling. David, one other thing uh, I wanted to mention is, although EEOC is uh, majority Republicans right now, Jocelyn Samuels, who is the vice chair at present, the Democratic representative, has been nominated for a second five-year term because her term ends on July 1. So uh, that's at least some progress on the EEOC. You know, Jocelyn is, uh, as they say, good people. I'm working with her currently on an upcoming ABA panel, and I've really, really enjoyed her a a bunch. But uh, so I think that'll be good for the commission. Now, the Senate's about to go on holiday for a couple of weeks. So this whole nomination activity is going to be put on a bit of a lull. But I think we should sort of switch to kind of the rundown from from last week, because there's a lot of other activity beyond some of these personnel decisions. And COVID is still the lead story. Absolutely. And uh, the president was able to say this week that he had met his obligation to reach 100 million 
uh, vaccines before the end of his first 100 days. He is now pledging 200 million vaccines by the end of the 100 days, which would be May 1st. Uh, we also got some CDC updates on schools saying that younger children uh, below middle school can be three feet apart, which means that schools can start to open with teachers. You know, Nita, you mentioned about the vaccines being stepped up. Two two things I thought were interesting. The private incentives that are being offered out there in, the, in America. Krispy Kreme, you get a free donut if you show you're fully vaccinated. Similarly, in upstate Michigan, if you go to one of the marijuana dispensaries, you get a free joint if you're fully vaccinated. So take your pick. Everyone can be happy. Get vaccinated, I think, is the message we're getting. Well, uh, you know, I, I wish I could uh, speak on such a happy note, but the other big headline this week, of course, had to do with shootings. Uh, the one that is most uh, troubling for employers, of course, is the anti-Asian racism, the murders in Atlanta, which are also an example for all of us to understand how unanticipated events uh, shape a president's uh, legislative agenda. Uh, for employers, uh, by the way, the anti-Asian racism is something that should be taken uh, into account. They should review the training, remind employees of your policies, because it seems to me and to everyone that I've read that the shootings in Atlanta were a galvanizing event for the Asian American Pacific Indian community. And uh, I think this will garner future attention so employers should redouble their efforts to make sure that this sickness doesn't infect their workplace. We're seeing, I think, more nominees coming out of the uh, AAPI community as well. There was a big push by Senator Duckworth saying she wouldn't uh, agree to any more confirmations unless there were more Asian, basically Asian nominees. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, another big thing this week, David and Bert, was the Equal Pay Day. Now, it's a little bit of a misnomer. That was Wednesday. Equal Pay Day is the day that women make as much money as men did the year before, so that what men made by the end of 2020, women are now making in March of 2021. The dates are not just, that's just women total. It's much later for African-American women, it's August the 3rd. For Latina women, it's October the 2nd. So interestingly, of course, we saw not only did OFCCP and EEOC issue updates on Equal Pay Day, there's a video from our new Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, talking about Equal Pay Day. And I think most significantly, David and Burke, was the president meeting with two members of the U.S. women's soccer team and talking about supporting paycheck fairness. Employers need to stay very closely watching on pay gap because pay gap is a big issue in this administration. Well, that's right. And part of that pay gap is going to be accomplished principally through the agencies. And increasingly, we're seeing the activity start to pick up uh, in the agencies. We've mentioned Secretary Walsh, and even though, as Bert pointed out, the A-team, all the agency heads aren't in place, nonetheless, the agencies are actually beginning to roll out both rescinding the prior regulations issued by Trump and, more importantly, perhaps issuing new regulations. So let's spend a little bit of time and unpack that uh, a bit. Uh, let me uh, start with that. Just to remind everybody, 
that, you know, on day one of the Biden administration, any regulation that was not fully enforceable was frozen. And that meant there was a complete freeze on all the pending regulations. But that didn't cover everything. For example, just this week, there was activity from the Department of Labor on tip pooling. You may recall that back in 2018, the Fair Labor Standards Act was amended and it made some limitations on the use of tips. And that's going to become effective on May 1. But the enabling regulations were retracted this week by the Department of Labor. And that is a certain indication that they're going to be issuing new regulations on tip pooling. And it will have a, it'll kind of ripple through the economy because everybody knows that we're waiting for a minimum wage law of which tip pooling is really a subset. And that's just typical of the kind of things that are beginning to roll out of the administration. And it goes into the agencies as well, even the OFCCP. One thing I wanted to point out is they did not roll back the entire tip pooling uh, obligation. Uh, They kept in something that the Congress, even under Trump, had put in that managers cannot share in tip pooling. They also left in that they could share tips with kitchen staff and others who aren't normally provided tips. Moving on to our friends at OFCCP, one of the most unpopular rules that OFCC put out during the Trump administration was what they've determined to be a clarification of the religious exemption rule that is going to be rescinded. That was announced, we mentioned it last week, but they have now officially put in a notice to OMB to rescind the religious rule, which will make employers much happier because they were concerned about the impact on their LGBT employees. You know, other other rules that have been on this uh, discussion of which rules are being rolled back uh, are not put into place. Uh, the ones that I think have received perhaps the most attention include the joint employer and independent contractor. Let me just let me tee that off a little bit because it's not a surprise that the Trump administration joint employer regulation uh, has been rescinded. That was rescinded earlier in March. What is still a little murky is. And now what? What's going to come in place? Is it going to be a new regulation? Uh, Is it going to be sub-regulatory guidance? A new regulation takes months to accomplish and uh, would take quite a while to do so. Sub-regulatory guidance, enforcement guidance, that can be done right away. I expect in the next week or two, we're going to get a clearer answer on the joint employer requirements now that Secretary Walsh is in his position at the Labor Department. You know, one of the things that uh, strikes me as interesting with the rescissions of both joint employer and independent contractor from the Department of Labor is that we now have no contemporary guidance from the Department of Labor on the two hottest issues in employment law. And we really don't know what the future is going to hold, what they're going to do, whether it's going to be an advisory opinion or starting the, the rulemaking. But by rescinding, we've kind of left everybody in a, in a, in a limbo. That's right. We had discussed earlier whether we thought that uh, the the Biden administration would use what the Trump administration used, the CRA, the Congressional Review Act, to get rid of some of the Trump rules that people really disliked. And we have a taste of that this week. Uh, We have both Patty Murray in the Senate and Bobby Scott in the House have put in filed resolutions to disapprove 
the EEOC's conciliation rule, which they were very much unhappy. The rule simply provided employers with, with much more information prior to going through conciliation. And uh, that has been objected to by the Democrats. So we'll see how that plays out, uh, David. You know, it's interesting because if they use the Congressional Review Act, not only is the rule rescinded, but the ability of the EEOC to put in place any future regulation involving conciliation is eliminated. Uh, any rule that's substantially similar is what the test is. So it, it represents kind of a total retreat uh, by the Democrats in Congress from the EEOC codifying any regulation on what the rules of engagement will be for conciliation. Honestly, I'm, I find that a bit of a head scratcher myself. You know, I just there have been a lot of commentary on why the Democrats haven't used the CRA to uh, cancel out some of the more uh, the Trump regulations that they don't like. But the CRA is this double edged sword. If you get rid of it, that means you can't go back to regulate in the same way. And this administration, as David pointed out early, once uh, Walsh is in place, we're going to regulate. So they don't want to create an artificial barrier to regulating. So we're going to see what we have seen. We're going to see withdrawals and retractions. And I think down the road, re-regulation. Well, David, I think you ought to talk about the most, the big elephant in the room, which is the OSHA emergency temporary standard. Yeah. So speaking of new regulation, where is that? Where is the emergency temporary standard, this uh, OSHA regulation to address COVID? Um, you know, I, I the other day on a, a webinar for the ELA had to give uh, OSHA a red mark, a red grade on this because they missed the deadline. I mean, I, I don't quite get that. You know, the CEO of the government, the president of the United States says, turn it in by March 15th. And here we sit two weeks out. They haven't done it. Um, Secretary Walsh has said, look, we're working on it. It's more complicated. I mean, but you can't really blame him. He's only just just arrived. But he has indicated it's going to be a real priority for him to get that completed. Interestingly, uh, during the week at the American Bar Association, some of the OSHA staff were there and provided some comments that are providing a little more clarity and may help explain why it's being delayed. There's a suggestion that maybe there will be one rule emergency temporary standard that governs the healthcare industry, and then a different rule that would govern other industries. That would be significant. That would obviously take perhaps a little more time than anticipated. There's further indications, again, kind of looking around the edges from what we can tell, that the regulation may be very fulsome and deal with uh, viruses that are uh, airborne. So this is a very different standard than we've been talking about to date. In other words, it's not just staying six feet apart or wearing a mask. When you talk about transmission by airborne, then we're talking about buildings, circu air circulation systems, the HVAC systems, the potential for revamping that. That's a big deal if that is what is baked in the rule. But increasingly, a number of indications are pointing in that direction. So I think the OSHA standard is going to be a really huge deal. Uh, and I think that Secretary Walsh, notwithstanding uh, his ability to compromise is it's going to be hard to compromise on that because the business community likely will challenge with both barrels blazing uh, a rule that's that encompassing. You know, I, I think the, the same standard will hold on the joint employer and the independent contractor. These are, as I said earlier, the hottest topics in employment law and have been for the last 15 or 20 years. 
the difficulty that is facing the Department of Labor is that since they have rescinded the current regulations, uh, the only thing on the books are the uh, are the regulations and decisions from the NLRB, which are contrary to the positions of the Biden administration. And even though they only uh, really implicate union organizing and unfair labor practices, they are now the current standard. And I'm certain that this administration is not going to let that continue for for very long. But to be full disclosure, uh, when they could have, they did not say that they were going to act with respect to either one or certainly have given us no deadline uh, beyond mid-May for something on joint em- employers. So uh, we're waiting for more guidance on that. You know, the tip rule, although you we've gone through what they rescinded and allowed to go in place, they've also indicated that they're going to update the regulation and they're going to do so on an expedited basis. Now, rulemaking, and this is part of what the new administration is dealing with, rulemaking takes time. That's what the Administrative Procedure Act builds that in. There's a number of requirements that are in place. You have to put a proposed rule out. You have to have a comment period. You have to read the comments. You have to assess them. And then you have to assess what the burdens are and benefits of the proposed rule, both the Labor Department as well as the White House. They have indicated, the Labor Department has now indicated that the new tip pooling requirements on an expedited rulemaking will be issued December of this year. Uh, We'll see. In my experience, that sounds, that is remarkably quick if they can get it done by December. I'd say whoopee for them. But in the meantime, we have what we have. In addition to employers objecting to the new rules, there's a whole group of Republican attorneys generals out in the states who are literally filing a lawsuit over every regulatory and executive decision that's being made by the Biden administration. But David, I just wanted to mention something that we talked about last week that federal employers need to be watching very carefully. And that is the OFCCP's, it's called the AAPVI verification proposal. It is in the pipeline at OMB and it would require every federal contractor, subcontractor at any level to verify they are in compliance with all the requirements under part 60. That would be EEO, that would be Executive Order 11246, 503, and VEVRA, and every piece and parcel of that, uh, saying that you are in compliance under penalty of perjury. And I'm not sure that employers really understand what that might mean. Well, as oh, I understand that it means that uh, you can be prosecuted under the False Statements Act. Exactly. And, that, and that's exactly. the real deal. That is a criminal provision. Yeah. So they've just raised the standard considerably. (laughs) I have every confidence that uh, OFCCP Director uh, Yang will make sure people understand the importance (laughs) of that and uh, hold people strictly accountable. Well, let's hit a couple of uh, quick wrap-ups here because our our time is drawing close. Dita? Well, first of all, I think we're going to see a lot of workplace legislation and workplace agency activity as we roll out with the Biden administration now that we have the Secretary of Labor in place. I'll go back to where I started and saying that this week uh, with the shootings and the migration uh, and the migrant uh, troubles on the south border, uh, make us aware again that no matter how well you plan, unanticipated events will shape the legislative agenda and will shape the president's time, the president's attention, the president's efforts. 
finally, I think the focus, we're moving about two blocks uh, west. We're moving from the Capitol, about two blocks over to the Labor Department at 200 Constitution Avenue. That's where the center of gravity is going to be and continue to be for the next couple of months. Thanks, David. And to the rest of the group, we look forward to our next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.